I'm excited about the word of the Lord tonight. I'm going to read to you a quick verse from Philippians verses, uh, chapter 3 and verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And I really am not going to spend a lot of time tonight. I'm going to try to talk to you a little bit about something that I continually learn more and more of every day, and that's Christian living in an antichrist world. Really, just talking about being a Christian. Um, I'm sure that tonight there's many of you that have been in this a long time, and you could teach me a thing or two about this, but I want to share with you what God, I feel, God has put in my heart, and I want to talk to you a little bit about Christian living living as Jesus would want us to live in this world. It's not easy, and even as a seasoned Christian, you will find yourself many times in a place to where you just need a little bit of encouragement, and you just need a little word from God to lift your head, because no matter who you are or how strong you think you are in this life, uh, this world has a way of pressing you down. And the minute you think it doesn't, and the minute you think you're on top of things, um, it's amazing what can be waiting for you around the corner when you're just not really expecting it. But tonight I want to talk to you a little bit about Christian living. Everything has to stay connected to its essence to really live. Whenever the Lord wanted to create fish, he spoke to the sea. He said, let there be. And the sea became the source. When he wanted to create plant life, he spoke to the earth and he said, let there be grass and trees, please. And it came to be. When he wanted to create plant life, he spoke to the earth. Let there be grass and trees. Let, there, let, let, let these things come forth. The animals, the cattle. The book of Genesis says that he spoke to the earth and it came to pass. When he made man, he spoke to himself. Let us make man for everything to live. It has to stay Connected to its source. You take a fish out of the ocean and you put him on a farm and chances are he's going to die. If you take a cow and you put it out in the middle of the ocean, it might swim for a little bit, but it's going to die. You take a plant and you put it into the, in the library next to a book on botany and chances are it's going to die. Because when you get disconnected from your source, that's when the death is going to really occur. The only way man in a, in a spiritual sense can live really is to simply stay connected to its source. We are fashioned by the hand of God and the breath of life was breathed into us by the Lord himself. So in order for us to live as Christians, we have to have the life of Christ in us. And if you ever disconnect from that source, well, then death is its going to ensue. I mean, death is going to occur. It's going to happen. Or for better terms, what we would call a spiritual death. The Apostle Paul, in my opinion, said it best in the third chapter of, the, of Philippians in verse 10 when he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, before Paul could know the power of his resurrection, or even, even before he could really know the fellowship of his suffering, he had to first know 
him. He had to be intimate with Jesus. What, what Christian living really boils down to is an intimate, is intimate living with Jesus Christ and that Christ portion of that relationship flowing out of us. There's only one Christian who ever lived, and his name is Jesus, and we are only Christian as he reveals his life through us. That's how this works. Dr. Jeffers once said, he, he said a couple of years ago that the Lord spoke to him on a specific occasion and told him, quit seeking me for sermons and start seeking to know me. If you know me, you'll have plenty to preach. And as a Christian, in order to, to truly help someone in their healing and in their process of moving on and forward in life, you yourself need to be healed. And in order to be healed, you must first be wounded. Jesus was a wounded leader. To prove that there is life after trauma, Christian life did not end at Calvary. But your resurrection really, really depends on how you took your crucifixion. The provisions in the Christian life is simple. It comes out of the vision. Provision is, it comes, it comes out of the vision that you have. First, you've got to have a vision. And your blessing is contingent upon the obedience of that vision, uh, on the obedience to the vision and the burden that God has given you. A burden without action is no more than really just good intentions. That's, that's what it comes down to. And, and if you're obedient to your vision, God will bring provision, and provision comes from provide. God's going to provide. There has to be provision from God to enable us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it comes out of the intimacy that we have with Jesus Christ himself. Now, I'm not really not up here to give you a bunch of rules on, on how to be a Christian. I, I'm not, I, that's not what I'm talking about tonight. What, but but or, or I'm, not, I'm not trying to give you a bunch of rules on what it takes to be a Christian. Because rules without relationship, listen to me closely, rules without relationship breeds rebellion. But if you truly have the ruler in your heart, if you truly have... The ruler in your heart. You don't worry about the rules because doing right comes out of the life that Christ, that the, uh, the life of Christ that's in us. You never get the provision first because provision is in the vision. For example, you remember when Jesus was walking on the water? Peter said, he said, if it's really you, Lord, bid me to come. And as he walked towards Jesus, there was... There, was, there is no doubt that, that the wind and the water was lapping up at his garments. And, and, and his, his garments had to become heavier walking on that water. And the further you go with Jesus, the further you go in your vision, the heavier your burdens are going to become if you've got a real vision. But he was moving towards Jesus and he got within arm's reach and, and, and then all of a sudden he started to sink I've heard it preached before that Peter's vision and destiny was to walk on water. I've heard crazy stuff before out of this. But you know what? His greatest destiny was to get to Jesus. That's really what it was all about. And if I can get to Jesus, I've gotten to the source, to the true source of life and power. 
I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. I, I really, uh, I, I, I tried my best. You, you're getting the best I got. So uh, if, if you don't understand it, I'm sorry. I, we'll, I'll get a translator in here. We'll, we'll get something right. But, but what I'm trying to say tonight is to be a Christian, you have to have a vision of him. And you have to plug into the provision. And oftentimes, the closer you get, the heavier your burdens become. But, but, but you're not going to sink. You just got to keep connected to that destiny. And all of this is a part of God's economy to help develop us. Whenever Peter was distracted from his destiny, he lost his vision. Anytime you're distracted from, from your vision of Jesus, you lose your destiny. You can become involved with so many things that can distract you, and your power is short-circuited. To get to Jesus was his destiny, and the only way to do that was to walk on water. I'm telling you, I'm convinced 100% that, that it's, it's not drugs, sex, and alcohol that's going to take us down as Christians. It's not the worldly lust that's going to destroy us as Christians. It's simply being distracted. It's simply not having a vision. When God began to put this on my heart, I had to really ask myself, Jay, what is your vision? What is your vision? And, and, and God has been speaking to me about that. And it's something I've been telling myself and talking to myself about every day. Every day. I want to know what my vision is, Lord. I want to have a vision. I want to have a vision, God. I want, I want to be pushing towards something. Anytime you are distracted from your vision of Jesus, you lose your destiny. So the first thing you've got to understand is that God called us to a relationship. In Mark 3 and 11, the first thing that Jesus called his apostles to do is simply this. He called them to be with him. He called them to a relationship long before he called them to be apostles. He called them to a relationship Way before he ever called them to be a teacher or preachers or pastors. He called them to a relationship first and foremost well before he ever called them to do and perform miracles. He first said, I'm just calling you to be with me. Don't ever lose sight of your source. Stay plugged into Jesus. That's what being a Christian truly is all about. You learn it in your head, but you live it in your spirit. I heard someone say one time, you cannot use ministry to validate relationship. Now, I had to chew on that for a little while. and You cannot use ministry to validate relationship. You remember the people that told Jesus, Lord, Lord, haven't, haven't we cast out devils in your name? Haven't, haven't we done this and haven't we done that all in your name, Jesus? Jesus, Jesus never said that they, that they didn't do that. But you know what he did say? He said, I never knew you. I never knew you. You know, it's kind of confused me before in the past seeing, seeing these churches and these denominations that you know don't preach the full truth. But there's people that come out of there and they say, I really got a miracle. 
You don't understand, Jay. I, I know you, you, not, you might not agree with him, but, but God really touched me. You know what? I bet you he did. Because when you call on the name of Jesus, something begins to happen. But Jesus says right here, yeah, that's the kind of power my name has, but I, I never really knew you. I don't know who you are. I never had an intimate relationship with you. New is a term in the Bible of intimacy. He said, I want relationship. And you're trying to validate your ministry by telling me what great things you've done. But you've missed the most important thing, and that's relationship. Power comes out of relationship. Just Christian living. If you're going to truly be involved in church, then you're going to have to be involved in ministry. I know. Trust me. Some of you really don't want to hear that. This is not just a a building that we come to to high-five each other and and feel goosebumps every once in a while. If you're going to truly be involved in church, if you're truly going to be involved with Jesus, then you're going to have to be involved in ministry. It's not an option. And if you're going to be involved in ministry, the first thing you're going to have to do is to give priority to this. Am I... Truly a follower of Jesus. Do I truly have a relationship with Jesus? It's not deep tonight. Obviously, I know that. It's just, I just wanted to talk to you about being a Christian. Proverbs 20 and 27 says, The spirit of a man is a candle of the Lord, or the light of the Lord. Now, When I read this, I know that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And I know Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and the church is the light of the world. But how can the spirit of a man be light for God? I look to God for light, but here here God is saying he's looking to us for light. The spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord. And that simply means that when God wants to search for reality in a person, he picks up their spirit and lights it, and that spirit leads God to the real person. Your spirit is what you really are. In in the flesh, we're we're not going to live eternally, but in our spirits, we will. So so spirits make men not education, not physique, not intellect, not personality, none of that. What really makes a man is his spirit. If you really want to know what a person is, just light his spirit. Just let something happen that will produce an ignition in his spirit. And his spirit will lead you to that true man, to that true person, to that true woman. So being a Christian is more than just things we do externally, though that is important. But it is what kind of spirit we have. It was Zig Ziglar that said, it's attitude, not aptitude, that determines our altitude. A person can be right doctrinally and very wrong in his attitude. I see it all over the place. When God's going to sanctify a person, he starts in a strange place. The very God of peace says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, sanctify you holy and I pray God. Now notice this. He he said, 
Your whole spirit, soul, and body are preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord. What God's going to sanctify, when, when God's going to sanctify a person, he starts with the spirit. Then he goes to the soul, and then he goes to the body. How, how many of you want to guess what we, what we do? Where do we go first? We usually judge a person by the body because it's the first thing we see. But God is telling us right here in Thessalonians that if I can sanctify a person's spirit, I won't have any trouble with his body. So being a Christian is also about having the right attitude. How do we react when things go wrong? That, <laughs> how do we really react when things go wrong? I can tell on myself so bad tonight, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to save myself some embarrassment. But I can tell you this. The minute I think I've got it licked, <laughs> something comes up. And, 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 and I have to just, I don't even want to pray about it. I just feel, be, I feel like being carnal. I, I don't even want to pray about this, God. I'm so mad right now. And then all of a sudden... The Holy Ghost begins to flicker, and and it's funny because I know I know I know what the answer is, and I'll go to the Lord. Oh Lord, help me, Jesus, help me to say the things that you want me to say, not the things I want to say. I just had an incident this week, talking to a young man. I was fired up. I was upset, and I said, you know what? And I went, and it was late in in the evening, and and I said, God. And it was a simple prayer. God, just help me to help me to do the right thing. And I talked to this young man and, and I began to tell him that it was okay. And I began to tell him that, hey, things happen, mistakes happen. And and he told me at the end of the day, he stopped me and he said, Jay, I've never had anybody talk to me like that. He said, I've never I I, I just didn't expect that. Jay, and, and I, he goes, I want you to know how much that means to me. I want you to know I, I didn't deserve that. And I said, buddy, there's a lot of things I have in my life that I don't deserve. So I began to check myself as a Christian and say, what is my spirit really consisting of? I've heard people say, well, I know I, know I have a temper because my father had a temper. And I remember... And you're good if, as long as you're not on my bad side. Because if you get on my bad side, I ain't going to hold my temper back. My dad had that. I picked that up from him. I, I can't help it. It's just who I am. Well, the same thing. It's the same way with God. If you've been born again, then he becomes the ultimate father in your life. And you will pick up his spirit and his nature. If you really... If we're really close to the Father, our spirit works through our soul and our bodies and portrays what we really are. God's always going to keep a little crisis in your life in order, in order to keep you dependent on Him. And just because you came to Jesus doesn't mean everything is going to work out perfectly in your life. I think many Christians have figured that out by now. It doesn't take long to be a Christian to figure that one out. How do we respond? How do we react? Even when we're overlooked. You remember Moses? Remember that guy? 
His life, his life was in 40-year stages. The first 40 years, he was a prince. The next 40 years, he was on the backside of the desert and was a pauper. The next 40 years, he was a prophet. The first 40 years, he was learning everything. The second 40 years, he was on the backside of the desert learning nothing. The third 40 years, he was learning what God could do with a man that could learn the first two lessons. How do we respond? There's times in our, in our development with God where it seems like we're, we're learning everything, and there's times when it seems like we're, we're learning nothing. But if you think about this, Moses didn't even really get a decent call from the Lord to do anything until he was 80 years old. In the book of Exodus, he saw a bush that was burning, and the scripture said he turned aside to see the bush that was burning but not consumed. At 80 years of age, notice the word turn, his turn came. At 80 years of age, he finally got his turn. So don't get impatient with the pace of God. Just learn to walk with God. Your turn is going to come. His turn didn't come until he was 80, but, but God was teaching him things. God was putting things in him and pulling things out of him. Spirits. Proverbs, Proverbs 25 and 28 says, A man that cannot control his spirit is like a city without walls. The walls of a city are down. When the walls of the city are down, anything can get in. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us nowadays, but back then, walls were pretty important. So what he's saying is, Keep your spirit right and keep your spirit up. And if you'll keep your spirit up your spirit and your spirit right, then nothing can invade and nothing can destroy your life. Jesus Christ never gave power without first testing the motive. In Israel, their victory or their defeats were never predicated on the size of the enemy, whether it was large or small. But it was always based on their relationship with God. If their relationship with God was right and they were humble before the Lord, a little David could bring down a huge Goliath. But when they got out of sync with God, a little city called Ai defeated them. So all of the success you aspire to be as a Christian is simply based on your relationship with Jesus. That's what it comes down to. Your intimacy level with Jesus Christ. God is more interested in developing character than he is in solving problems. We want God to solve all of our problems. And he looks down at us, you know, and, and, and this is my life story. And he looks down at us and he says, you've, you've never really prayed like this, Jay. He's, you never really fasted like this, Jay. I, I, man, I've just never seen you drawing this close to me before. You know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to keep you under that a little while. I really like the way you're developing. I really like the character you're starting to develop. I'm just going to leave you under that little pressure there for a while. What are you trying to do, God? You trying to kill me? What are you what are you trying to do? No, son. Just trying to make you a better Christian. When the pressure was put on Stephen, if you'll all stand. When the pressure was put on Stephen, we always say and preach that he was stoned to death. But really what the Bible says is he was stoned to life. The Bible says his face shone as an angel, whatever is really in your spirit, when you get under pressure, that's really what's going to come out. 
I think being stoned is pretty good pressure. And when that pressure was put on Stephen, his whole countenance shone as an angel of God. What does our countenance show when we get under a little pressure? I know, I, no, I, I haven't read about it in the news or anything, but I don't think anybody's been stoned in a while. But uh, I know we're not facing that kind of pressure. But what happens, what, what does our countenance show when we're under a little bit of pressure at the job? What does our countenance show when we're under a little bit of pressure in front of a customer? When we're overlooked for something? What kind of, what kind of spirit are we really having? What I'm trying to say today really is simple. You've got to have an intimate relationship with God. You, you, it's it's got to happen. If I'm, I'm going to save you some time. I'm going to save you a lot of time. I'm going to save you a lot of hours of fixing your hair, dressing, ironing, dry cleaning. I'll save you a lot of money, too. Uh, all the stuff you got to do to get ready for church, the gas to and from church. Um, the, I'll save you a lot of headaches, too. All the arguments with your wife, your children, and family on the way to church. If If you're not going to be intimate with God, you're wasting your time. So just quit doing it. That's, that's kind of harsh, but that's, that's really where we're at. Because you know what? If we continue to do what we're doing and just play church, we're going to continue to have the same results. We're going to continue to not see our family saved. We're going to continue to pass the same person on the street, talk to the same neighbors every day, and we're going to continue to see them all the way to Judgment Day and never have have seeing them come to the Lord. We're wasting our time. We have got to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what God has been telling me. I have been praying, God, please give me sermons that will shake and stir. Please give me, let me do something. And all He keeps telling me is, do I know you? Do I know you? Do I know you? When's the last time you've come up to the church and paced these aisles? When's the last time you've come up to the church and, and gone through a box of Kleenex? When's the last time you got down next to the side of your bed and said, Jesus, Jesus, I can't do it anymore. I got to know you, Jesus. You know, that saying was blown way out of proportion. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Bracelets, shirts, hats, pants, socks, shows, everything. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? But you know what? That's really the question we need to ask ourselves now. What would Jesus do? You're getting bogged down with simple things that Jesus already told you to cast on him. He said, give it to him. I don't, it doesn't come any more plain than that. But we begin to bog ourselves down and say, you know, I don't know how to do this. I don't have the answers. And, and, and we battle with it as a family. We battle with those things. And, and what God is telling us is, hey, if you knew me, Jesus is the Word. The Word is God, was God. This is Jesus. If you knew me, you wouldn't be so stressed out. You wouldn't be so worried. I'm telling you, church, I don't know how else to say it. We have got to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Because we're wasting everybody's time. You know what, Sunday school teachers? If you're showing up there and you're teaching that, and you're teaching the children how to live for God and everything, you're wasting your time if you don't yourself have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Sound guys, music. Worship leaders, singers, 
We're all wasting our time if we don't have an intimate relationship with God because that's where it's going to change. Hey, do you find yourself coming to church saying, here we go, three, three songs, take an offering, preach, and gone. That's not what I want. That's not what I desire. That's not what I'm, I'm trying to tell you. Come on, let's do this. We can do this. We can do this as a church. We can do this as a body. We can do this as friends and family. We can do this. It's not easy to pick yourself up. You know, I, I, I really have felt that God is bringing back and he wants to, to speak to, to, the, to the backsliders, but they don't know how to come back. That's what I'm figuring out. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to come back. They don't know how to face that embarrassment. And it's hard when we can't even get along as a church and we fight amongst each other, but yet we want to reach out to a backslider. God is calling us to a new walk with Him, a new relationship. God is calling us to an intimate relationship with Him. That I may know you, Jesus. That I may know you, Jesus. That that when I see that backslider, my first thoughts aren't, oh, look at the way they're dressed. Look at how short their hair is. Man, look at all that jewelry. No, I... I want my first thoughts to be. They they have a chance. They have a chance. They have a chance because Jesus is not on the throne of judgment. He's still on the throne of grace. They still have a chance. God, how can I get to them? How can I say? God, help me to say something to them. Help me to say something to them that's going to it's going to encourage them. I want to be a Christian, Lord. I want to be a Christian. And when you become a Christian, God is going to tell you what He's God is going to tell you what to tell Him because you know what He's going to you're going to say you're going to say what would Jesus do? And Jesus is going to say, "I love you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to love you." And that's what we need to do as Christians. Listen, you know, I'm not going to get into everything, but I I know there's churches that are just pushing, oh, love, 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 and they're fluttering around on little angel wings. But but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about about what it says in Thessalonians of being, I want to love you, brother. I'm not worried about the rules and the regulations. I... You know, I want to be a Christian because, you know why I, I'm a Christian? You know why I want to call myself a Christian? Because I have Christ living in me. God is dwelling in me. You know why God is dwelling in me? Because I have a relationship with Jesus. Because every morning and every night and every midday and every time I get a chance, I'm praying and I'm worshiping you. And that's how I know I have that relationship with you. And God is going to tell you what to tell him. He's going to tell him, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you.